Welcome to the audio podcast, the weekly sermon of the First Presbyterian Church of Brooklyn. We continue our multi-access worship both online and our recently renovated sanctuary. Sunday morning service is in person at 11 a.m. and we are live on firstchurchbrooklyn.org as well as the church Facebook page at facebook.com slash firstchurchbrooklyn. All one word, no spaces. Now, this week's message. So I want to begin by letting you know that The Daily Show with Trevor Noah on Comedy Central is one of my favorite shows. I rarely get to see it. It's an important news source for those of you who don't know. A few weeks ago, I saw Trevor Noah and He gave me some important information, and that is that there was a special task force looking at health issues here in the U.S. that is urging all adults under the age of 25, uh, under the age of 65, to seek mental health care support. And so he asked the question, So what about the people who are over 65? (laughs) Y'all just going to die anyway, so we don't care about your health. I'm going to be 66 next month. So I guess I am not encouraged to seek mental health care support. But those of you who are, Indeed, we recognize, as Mayor Adams said, these are, the, these are some overwhelming times that we're in. Some of us are so overwhelmed we don't even know it. Some of us are so wounded and bruised and so anxious that that has become the norm, and so we just kind of keep going along So many retail stores are having difficulties getting staff to work because they said customers who come in, the level of rudeness has gone off the chain. And I believe that rudeness is really because people are feeling stressed and overwhelmed and anxious and whether it is what's happening in the current news cycle, whether it is the realities of climate change that are impacting all of us around the world. So many things. But I come with good news. I don't need to tell you about all of that stuff. Say, uh, Dr. Carey, we didn't come to hear more of the stuff that is trying our souls. But I want to give you some good news. I'm I'm going to start walking now. Is that okay, folks in the back? So, I'm going to tell you about some tattoos I have that I didn't have any tattoos when I was pastor here. So I had to wait till I got in my 60s to get some tattoos. 
On this side, it says mourning into dancing. That's from the Psalms, where God promises to take off the sackcloth and ashes and restore us with joy. Sackcloth is what was used when people were mourning, when they were grieving, or it was something they wore at a time they were being penitent for something they had done. So that's one tattoo. The other one says, all the way up. For those of you who don't know hip hop, (laughs) all the way up, nothing can stop me. I'm all the way up. So I got a little scripture and a little hip hop. And this is my third tat. I don't have any others that might be hiding. The third one I got last year for my 65th birthday. And this one is a butterfly. Because I'm in the butterfly season of my life. I'm just getting started, y'all. So Naaman was a great warrior for the Aramean army. And the Arameans and the Israelites used to fight with each other, conflict after conflict, much the way we know between Palestine and Israel today, between Russia and Ukraine, between North Korea and South Korea, and so many places around the world. Constant conflict. And the text lets us know one of those times of conflict, God gave victory to Naaman over the Israelites. And some would say, what? Oh my gosh, beautiful. I'm just seeing some beautiful faces I haven't seen in so long. And I don't want to call folks' names out because if I don't see you, I don't want you to think I don't love you. But Janet, it's good to see you. So anyway. (laughs) And his, his victory, however, was similar to the reality many of us experience in our lives where professionally we might excel But there's some pain, some disease, something that is ravishing us. Naaman had leprosy. And so in the midst of this great victory, he's still still dealing with all kinds of discomfort. Anybody ever experienced that where it looks like stuff is good out there, but people don't know the kind of suffering that's going on in your life? Anybody have that testimony? So Naaman, because of the conflict and the victory over Israel, one time he took a young Israelite woman As captive, and this young woman became the servant to Naaman's wife. So she saw the distress that Naaman was in, and and she said, 
there's a great prophet among my people, Elisha, who I believe can heal your husband of this leprosy. Now that's the enemy. But Naaman said, well, what do I have to lose? So Naaman followed the political protocols of the day. And he went to his king and, and made this request. And his king then wrote a letter to the king of Israel. And the king of Israel, my name's Bennett. I ain't in it. There, or there must be some kind of subterfuge happening here. They're trying to enlist us in a way that we come into some more conflict. This must be a Trojan horse kind of thing. Look like they're coming asking for our help when really what they want to do is more harm to us. But the letter said was, was really an announcement. That protocol, just want to let you know my great warrior is coming into Israel to your prophet Elisha. So Naaman gets there with all of his entourage. He arrives at Elisha's home. And Elisha sends his servant out to tell Naaman what to do for his cure. So here's Naaman. Do you know who I am? You're going to send your people out? You're not going to come to me directly? How dare you? You must not know who I am. See? Do you hear that? <laughs> you must not know who I am. Naaman went away in all of his haughtiness, all of his arrogance, his anger, and still with his leprosy. It was also that he got angry, not only because the inhospitality of Elisha, but also the instructions Elisha had given, go and dip in the Jordan River seven times. Excuse me? Just dip in the river seven times? The rivers in Damascus, they are better than the one here in Israel. How could it be something so simple when I have dealt with this so long? Surely there must be something more challenging I must do. Because after all, I'm the one who knows how to fight great battles. Dip in the Jordan? Seven times? Sometimes we need people around us who will help us cool our jets. Sometimes we need people around us who will say, wait a minute, I, I, I know that doesn't seem very hospitable. Uh, I, I know that seems like an oversimplification of an instruction. But what do you have to lose? Sometimes we need people in our lives who will help us 
calm down just enough for us to try something that God is calling us to do. So fortunately, Naaman got over his ego just enough and listened to his colleagues. He went to the Jordan. He dipped seven times. And miraculously, he was healed. Unexpectedly, he was healed. Is there something in your life? Because everybody's got something, and as I shared with you on, from the Trevor Noah show, anxiety is so rampant in this nation. Many of us go to work, we go to school, we tend to things in church and in our communities, trying to look like we're together trying to look like we're okay. We're grieving so many, many things. Before we can deal with one grief, another comes like a tsunami and hits us again. I was talking with a woman from Vietnam a few days ago, and she was telling me how in Vietnam they they dug these holes, and whenever there was some bombing, they would dive into the holes, hopefully, to miss being hit by the mortar. I was reminded from a conversation also this past week a young woman who served in the Peace Corps in Rwanda. And she talked about how once a year on the anniversary of the genocide, they would have these great conversations about the incredible betrayals and devastation. Neighbor against neighbor, friend against friend. As I heard this young woman, I was reminded of a doctor I met many years ago when I was serving as pastor in Stamford, Connecticut, a Rwandan doctor who was in medical school during the genocide, and all of his classmates were killed as they were instructed to lie down on the ground and One person after another was shot, and when it came to him, the gun jammed. Another came and said, here, use my gun, and the first shooter said, no, don't worry, he's not worth our bullets. And it's only because of that that he is still living. But because of survivor guilt, he never talked about that. Until the day he heard my sermon in Stamford, Connecticut, because I was talking about the importance 
of sharing our testimonies. With tears in his eyes, he held on to me. He said, you are the first person I've told about what I experienced. And then he had the courage to share it also with the congregation. Rwanda, because they've worked so hard not to talk about the catastrophic, horrific devastations of the genocide, except on the anniversary. The rest of the year, they're pretty much barred from talking about it because they said, we can't be together as a nation if we're always talking about what we did to one another. In church, sometimes we hurt one another. Oh, maybe that's the church across the street. That would never happen here. <laughs> but I'll just say in churches, in spiritual communities, sometimes the woundedness one has comes out in the form of harm towards someone else. You know, hurt people hurt people. And then we gather together and we try to worship together and we try to serve together and work together and the wounds are still there. Now please, I want you to know, Barbara didn't tell me anything about any specifics of what's happening in this church. I just want to be clear about that. I just know church people. So I don't want anybody, oh, who's talking about, no. I just know human beings. We hurt each other. And many of us are slow to apologize, and others of us are even slower to forgive. So we keep holding it. It is so important. Sometimes God calls us to do the simplest thing to help us restore, help us to turn the morning into dancing. Sometimes it's the simplest things that help us to go all the way up. And we're looking for something complicated. How has God been speaking to your heart? What is it that God is calling you to do regarding issues happening within your own heart and mind, regarding issues happening within your family, in your workplace, in your church, in your body, in your mind? What is God calling you to do? That for various reasons you've said, either it's got to be something harder or, uh, not yet, God. Uh, or, um, well, well, I remember one of my favorite things. God called me years ago in a conversation we were having. I was so pissed at my mother. Is it okay if I use the word pissed? 
I was so pissed at my mother and I said, because my mother would not accept that I was gay. I was singing at the Washington National Cathedral and she wouldn't come because it was a service for World AIDS Day. I was crushed. So I was home the next day and I was praying and I said, why can't she love me and accept me the way I am? And you know what she said to me? She, that's God. You know what she said to me? <laughs> love her and accept her the way she is. So you know what I said back to God? She's the mother. She's supposed to show me how to do it. God was silent. So I sat in the silence. And I got it. I said, oh, this is about my spiritual journey. Whether my mother ever loves and accepts me the way I am, it's my spiritual journey and my spiritual calling and my spiritual opportunity to love her and accept her the way she is. It was something so simple. I didn't say it was easy, but it was simple. And it healed me of the emotional leprosy that I had. It transformed me. And a bonus was, it transformed her in my relationship as well. But the main thing was, it transformed me. Something so simple. Spirit often speaks to us in the simplest of terms. And it's stuff we don't want to do, or not now. I see somebody back there last night, I mean yesterday, who said that to me. Well, I'm just saying not now, God. Yeah, I'm calling you out. So what is God calling you to? And how does your ego at times, you want me to forgive that person? But God, you must not understand what kind of harm they did to me. They have not apologized. And for those of you who think forgiveness is connected with apology, let me, let me correct you. Forgiveness is really about untethering yourself from the pain, from the caca-ness, if you don't know that word, that's a carry word, because I'm not going to say the other word in, in church. Whatever stuff is going on in their life that caused them to hurt you in that way. Forgiveness is about cutting the tie so you can be free. 
Forgiveness is about your freedom. It's not about whether they apologized or not. It's not about whether they are contrite, penitent, recognize that they hurt you. It's not about that. It's about enough. I am tired of being connected with the unhealth, with the sickness, the hurt, the woundedness, the toxicity of the person who hurt me. Forgiveness is exactly what Jesus understood on the cross when Jesus said, forgive them for they know not what they do. Not, I'm going to forget what they did. Not that we're going to act like everything is okay. But they are so out of balance. Here's another carry word. They're catawampus. Catawampus is when emotionally you are so askew, you are twisted around, you are so emotionally confused about what's going on till you think that the person who is your enemy is your friend and you think that the one who's your friend is your enemy. That's, that's catawampus. Jesus on the cross. They thought he was there to harm them when he was there to heal them. But catawampus thinking will have us hurting those who are there to help us. Forgiveness helps us to cut the tie of their toxicity, their woundedness. Oh, gosh. I love to preach, but we're not going to go on forever. The last thing I want to say, this is about ego. Not only does ego often impede us from engaging in the things that God calls us to do to heal, whether it's forgiveness or whatever it might be. Not only might ego show up in those ways, but sometimes it also shows up in the way that we don't want people to know what we have come through. We want to be healed privately. When I started preaching, after I preached my first sermon, I was praying and thanking God for having shown up, and, and God said to me, you need to disclose. And no, I don't meet, need medication. I really hear stuff from spirit. And I know a few of you that is true. So disclose, okay. Next time I preached, I disclosed something I had overcome. Same pattern. After I preached, 
Spirit said to me, you didn't get it. Disclose what you're struggling with now. Excuse me? It wasn't until that challenge was presented to me that I began to realize how ego was showing up in my life. I liked people thinking I had it all together. Even though I ain't never had it all together. And you know why? Because I'm human. And what amazed me was, as much as I didn't want to honor that, I, the third time I preached, I shared something I was struggling with. And to my surprise, it really moved people's hearts. So here's what I want to ask you to do. Let go of your ego. I want, if you will, share with someone near you something that God has been calling you to. You get three options, okay? Something God is calling you to that you've been a little hesitant about saying yes. Or share something God has healed you from, delivered you from. Or share something you're going through right now that, as the choir sang earlier, even though you can't see it right now, you're trusting God to bring you through it. So you get three options. I really want us to do this. Just take about five minutes And if you will do that, share that with someone near you. If you need me to repeat those three things, something that God is calling you to do that you've been hesitant to do, something that God has delivered you or healed you from, or something that right now you are in need of healing and deliverance, that you are seeking to trust God to bring you through. If you will share that with a neighbor near you. So I want to ask just three people. Why did I ask you to do this? Just three people. Say that again. So when you speak it and share it with someone else, it becomes more real. Anyone else? Yes. Get you talking with each other. Yes, one more person. Yes. All right, let go of your egos a little. Many of us suffer in silence. It is so important to create space. And it's unfortunate in so many ways that our churches are constructed in the ways that they are, 
but it was a theology of a particular era. But as you look at this space here and that beautiful banner that was done by Dottie Tremail. Think of all the stuff that people gathering in this space over 200 years, all the stuff they've been through. Personally, think of all of the things that have been happening over 200 years in this nation's history, and this church has continued to be here. We're in a time now that feels like the forerunner of another civil war, but this church came through civil war. This church came through World War I and World War II and the Korean War and so many conflicts we don't even know the names of. So many have died along the way. So many have been born along the way. So many have come to know God in this place. So the more you let go of ego and talk with one another and share the joys and the sorrows the more you encourage one another to a spirit of forgiveness and peace. I had to bring a tissue because I, I, I feel so strongly about it. It makes me cry. Every time I think about what we as a formidable force coming in God's name, in God's love, I, and when I had to add God's love because I know a lot of folk use God's name. And it ain't much love up in there. It's a whole lot of judgment. But when we come in the love of God, the unconditional, the life-transforming love of God, but understand it's got to start with ourselves to know that is for us and bring that into all the spaces where we go. 200 years, so many stories. The first time I stood in the Atlantic Ocean on African soil, I was surrounded by ancestors and I got pissed. because my tour guide knew the names of 13 generations of his family. This was in Ivory Coast. And I was like, I know two generations on one side and two and a half generations on the other. I was pissed. And then all these ancestors started surrounding me and this is what they said, don't no worry that you don't know our names and that you don't know our stories. All that we experienced and endured helped make possible this moment for you right here. How you use the moments of your life impact the possibilities of those who are yet to follow you. 
This is the moment for each of us. What are we doing with it? What things have we been holding on that have been like leprosy for us that God is inviting us to let go of? I'm silly enough to believe that God wants all of us to be free. Go share that message with as many people as you can, including those you don't particularly prefer. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust you were fed as well as challenged by the content. This audio archive supplements a video library of the entire service. The video, along with music from our internationally recognized gospel choir, is available on firstchurchbrooklyn.org. We provide multi-access worship options both in person and online Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time. We are live in the sanctuary, as well as firstchurchbrooklyn.org and the church Facebook page at facebook.com firstchurchbrooklyn. All one word, no spaces. Visit firstchurchbrooklyn.org for more information on both online and in-person worship. Remember that now, as always, you are loved.